It's good, it's good to be back. Um, my illness at the end of January and on into February really disrupted the, not just my life and my, Cynthia, I ask your forgiveness that I mentioned about the class. I shouldn't have done that. But we, we, we're glad to be back. And as far as I know, I'm going to be here for 15 more Sundays. I have no, no, no other conflicts that I'm aware of now till the summer. Um, but we're here in Lent, and I already mentioned Father Fred, who, who graciously stepped in for, for me last week. Um, Lent always calls us back. It, 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 it comes, whether we like it or not, uh, once a year. And it comes because there's a problem that we all have, and that is we can know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. And we, 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 we can know what's right, and we, and we still do wrong. And it's easy once a man or a woman becomes a follower of Jesus and hears so much of the good news about God's forgiving mercy, and God's grace and God's goodness that we can fall into excusing ourselves for our disobedience and presuming upon the mercy and grace of God. And that's an error, a very great error, a grievous error. And Lent comes to remind us of that because we're all prone to it. There's just no one that's not prone to it. And, and so this year, for the Sundays from now till Easter, we're going to have the Ten Commandments read in place of the first reading each week. And um, by God's grace, I'll, I'll speak to one or two or three of them on each of those Sundays. Uh, and today, I want us to look at the first commandment and the second commandment. Uh, the, the first commandment that we, were to ha- we are to have no other gods God came to us, declared himself to us, revealed himself to us as the God of all that is. There is nothing that exists that doesn't exist by God's hand, God's creative act. God spoke all that is into being. And God has come to us to declare himself to be our God and that we are to be his people. And, and his first commandment to us in that, in that great unfolding of his will and his love is we are to have no other gods. No other gods. And the second command, that we are not to make idols that are not gods that get our worship, that get our lives, that get our energy, that get our treasure, that get our talents. And we end up serving things with all that we are that are not God instead of serving with all that we are the living and true God. So those, those are the first two commandments today. But before we go to them in a little more detail, let's just remember the big story. The big story is that God called Abraham and Sarah nearly 4,000 years ago. Nearly 4,000 years ago and came to them and revealed to them that he was God and he was calling them to walk in intimate relationship with God. That they were to be a man and a woman 
who would live the life that God intended from the beginning for man and woman. And that invitation, that, that gift, that coming was filled with promise. And the promise was that this would bring you life. This would bring you life and joy and goodness and truth and beauty and right order and write everything, and your children and your children's children to the thousandth generation will come into alignment with my purposes for man and woman, my purposes for, for people, my reason for creating you. And, and Abraham and Sarah were given that call 4,000 years ago. But because Abraham and Sarah are no different today than Tom and Sally or Harry and Sally. Uh, that movie comes into my head. Um, um, or, 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 or Tom and Christy or John and Cynthia or Zach and Jenny. They're people. Abraham and Sarah were people just like me and you. And guess what? All their kids didn't obey them. They didn't even obey God all the time after God came to them. And so little by little by little, their, their, their children and their children's children and the generations that came after were moving farther and farther and farther away from intimacy with God. The relationship that God wants his people to have with him that transforms the way they relate to one another. And and, and he sent the law. He, he intervened again, and we know the story, some of us well, through Moses, 430 years later, more or less. I, I don't know the math of how many generations that would be if you gave 20 years to a generation, but it's a lot of generations. So the law came in, whereas the promise from God was, I want you to walk in such a relationship with me that you know the right from the wrong. That you do what is good and not what is bad. But the law came to clarify that and to give us guidelines, to give us boundaries. The law came for a good purpose. It came to teach us, to instruct us, to raise us up to a place where what our hearts desired was what God wanted. Um, I use the illustration because it's just so real for almost everybody that has a driver's license. And that is if you're rounding the bend down by hog heaven in a hurry to get to Georgetown or Charleston or somewhere south, even though it's not south when you're going, feels like south. Um, if you come around that bend and you see a trooper, state trooper, pulled over on the median, you slow down instantly. You don't think about it. You don't tell yourself. You just instinctively slow down because you know the law. And you know you're probably breaking it. And that's why God gave us the law. He gave us the law not so we'd be burdened by the law, but because he knew if we didn't learn to walk in obedience to his will for his people, we would forfeit our lives. Peace would end, animosity would grow, conflict would grow, disobedience would grow, moral evil would gain us way. Over and over and over, 
over and over and over, the Lord sent his people messengers. We heard it from Jesus' lips in the gospel today. I send you prophets. I send you teachers. I send you holy men and women to try to gather you back before it's too late. And you will not listen. You won't have it. You want your own way. And sadly, he, he prophesies over Jerusalem, symbolic of all of Israel and all who have ever been called to be his people, including every one of us in this room. He laments over their unwillingness to heed the word of God. And Lent comes because we have to hear that. You and I have to hear that. It's, it's, it's every year on the second Sunday in Lent that one or the other, either Matthew, Mark, or Luke, the version that each of those three men have left us, is told of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. His lament, his heart is broken. He is not wanting judgment to fall, but it is going to fall because the law is true. Another silly illustration that has been very helpful to me for a lifetime. You can disagree with the law of gravity. But if you jump off a building, the truth of the law of gravity is going to take your life. The moral law is no different. But while we are alive, while we have while Lord, the Lord grants us time, we have the opportunity to turn, to change, to go a different direction. And the heart of the gospel is all about that. The heart of the gospel is that God so loved. It's because God so loved that he has revealed what is right and wrong. He's put some of it in every human heart. I mean, even Putin, Vladimir the evil, even Putin has a sense of what's right and wrong. It's just not in alignment with God. The conscious awareness of right and wrong is in every human being because God made us. We bear the image of God. But without God revealing, clarifying to us our, our desire, our brokenness causes us to rebel against God's right and prefer our wrong to God's right. And so we fall into disobedience and let comes to us. It comes to us. And it says, the first thing you need to hear when you hear the gospel is God so loved you that he doesn't want you to perish. It's because he so loves you that he sent his son, that you would not perish, but have everlasting life. But in order for that to be true for you, you have to change direction. You have to repent and believe the gospel. And, and, and beloved, in our day, in our time, it is just getting rarer and rarer and rarer to know a man or a woman who understands that saying I'm sorry is not repentance. I'm sorry I stepped on your toe until I step on it again, is not repentance. Repentance is, God forgive me, may I never do it again. 
God, forgive me with all my heart. I give myself back to you. Lord, I can't do this if you don't come. Please, God, change me so I never step on that toe again. That's repentance. Now, it may not be perfect. Many of us in this room, including me, have a testimony of wanting to see things change in me that by asking for it to change the first time, I thought it got changed for a day or two until the next week, you know? And so I've had to be metaphorically, sometimes literally, on my knees again and again and again. But feeling sorry is not repentance. Repentance is I'm, I'm determined with your grace and love and help, Lord, to change. Cynthia and I, while we were in, in Arkansas, got delayed coming back, but when we got back and got cleaned up. It's, isn't it fun to travel with no extra things and then miss a plane? Eh, it's not fun. Is it? So we, we took second showers and changed clothes and spiffed up to drive to Charleston where we missed the convention but where we were meeting friends for dinner. And we hadn't seen them for quite some time and they're very dear to us and it was just a joy uh, to be reunited after, after some years. And when the, the waiter came around with, would anyone like a drink? I said, Cynthia, would you like a glass of wine? And she said, no. And I made an order, and Jack and Robin didn't order anything. And uh, this was not the Jack and Robin I knew. And so without thinking, I just said, Jack, don't you want something to drink? You want a glass of wine? And he said, I'm an alcoholic. Just like that. I'm an alcoholic. Well, there's a pretty stark confession right there and so I said well tell me the story and he said uh, I came home from a party drunk 11 years ago and Robin laid down the law and I knew it was God and I knelt down and I asked God to deliver me from alcohol and I've never had a drink since that's repentance that's not feeling sorry that I got drunk very different. Now, clearly, if anyone has experience with this, and I'm, I'm sure that many of you do, so do I, in my life and family and friends, many don't make that transition from alcohol in one fell swoop. But if they don't make it, they forfeit their lives. And the moral law is like that. That's why the Ten Commandments come to us. They come to us to give us a kind of moral compass. They come to help us reevaluate where we are. In conversation with one of uh, my dear brothers in Christ who lives in Asia uh, a week or two ago, he was likening Lent to a time when we, I think I might actually have stolen this from him when I preached two weeks ago, that Lent's a time to clarify where we are, to face where are we really? Where's my life right now? It's time to recalibrate you know, what I'm doing with my life, the choices I'm making, and it's a time to recommit. So to clarify, calibrate, and commit was his little preacher's threesome. Well, that's what Lent does. It gives us that. And I want to challenge you today to make the Ten Commandments a private, personal evaluation of your life in what remains of Lent. I want to encourage you to literally have a piece of paper on which you write down what God shows you when you pray to him of your 
violations of the Ten Commandments. Yours, not your wives, not your husbands, not your dad or your neighbor, no Russian, no anybody, you. How have I violated the first commandment, Lord? How have I been disobedient or am being disobedient to your first commandment, Lord? And I want you to write it down. And you may remember a very specific, God may bring some very specific memory to you. And it could be from a long time ago, but it could be from today. And then with the second commandment, and then with the third commandment, and then with the fourth. And I want to invite you and ask you to do that as a discipline in Lent, that the Lord would reveal by his spirit to you in particular where you have gone astray or are going astray from his will for you. The particulars of it. And I want to ask you to write it down. Make a note of it. And then I want to invite you to bring it on Good Friday. Good Friday is just two short days from Easter. And we'll have a basket on Good Friday. And we'll just drop our sins in that basket. And when that service is over on Good Friday, Patrick and I will go outside and burn them as a sign that we've repented, that we've, we truly have repented. Now, you know, and I know, every Sunday, and it's a good custom. I don't, I don't think it's a bad custom. We, we make a corporate confession. We, we ask God's forgiveness for our sins, but it's not, most of the time, anything other than what we do next in the service. It's, it, it's meant to be a reminder to us that we need to constantly be open to God showing us what we've done that we shouldn't have done and that we've, what we've left undone that we shouldn't have left undone so that we get back in alignment with his will. But Lent is unusually important to most of us because very few of us do that very well with just a Sunday confession. I remember when Cynthia and I went to England for me to study theology, and in the theological college that I was attending, we had to be in chapel on Saturday night at nine o'clock. And I didn't have anything in my life that prepared me to readjust my schedule to be in chapel at nine o'clock at night on a Saturday. And what I started to learn in those years is that we were being called to review our life that week before we came to communion the next morning. We, we were being challenged to pray and be still before God and ask for clarity of what we needed to be forgiven of before we dared to come to the table of the Lord. I'd been saying the general confession every Sunday morning all my life. But that had a different feel. That had a different impact on my life. And a few years went by before I was challenged, as I've challenged you, to literally write down on a piece of paper the things that I had done 
that grieve the heart of God and to bring them to confession and to give them to God and to ask for mercy and forgiveness. And I have to say that writing those things down, and I was counseled by the fine priest that encouraged me to do this, to group them under the Ten Commandments. He said, you don't have to, if, you know, if you, if you stole 20 times, just write under thou shalt not steal, I stole 20 times. You don't have to write it 20 times. And you can fill in the blanks for the other commandments. But he asked me to think that way and to pray that way. And then to confess it. And I have to say, it was different than any confession I'd ever made in my whole life until that moment. When I saw what I had to write on that piece of paper, I was grieved. I was ashamed. I was sorrowful. I knew myself to be a miserable offender. But when I brought it to the basket and it was burned in the fire, I knew I was forgiven. I wasn't forgiven what I'd do wrong next week, but everything up to that time, I knew by the grace of God, it was gone. My life was a clean sheet of paper for a day or two. It's a great joy to know the forgiveness of God. It's a great gift to know the forgiveness of God. So bring yourself before God this Lent. He has brought you to this place. He chose you. You did not choose him. If you are in this room today, it is because God has chosen you to walk in his truth. And he wants to be in a covenant relationship with you where you assent to that with joy. And his promise is that he alone can save you. He's come to you to save you. Don't turn away from him. And don't fall into making false gods in your life that take the best from you. Because that makes an idol. And you give what belongs to God to something that's not God. So hear the word of God today. May God grant that when Easter comes, April 17th this year, when Easter comes, if we take even a small amount of time to be still and alone with God, we will see some things that he showed us this Lent that are now forever behind us. And that we will be ready on that great Easter morn to welcome the risen Christ who's called us to be his own forever. And, and may it be in our memory when this Lent is over, just the best Lent ever. Let's face the truth this Lent because God stands ready to give great joy if we will. Let us pray. Help us, Lord, to experience again the joy of our salvation. 
Come, Lord, to anyone who has never known that joy and grant it to them by your favor. May they call out to you. May they come before you with honesty. May they turn and yield to your call. And gather all of us up, Lord, each and every one of us, in this Lenten journey uh, as, we, as we move toward the joy of Easter and we turn more and more to the goodness and mercy and love you have for us and have revealed to us and call us to know and live. In Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.